0: Welcome to the CIDRAP Antimicrobial Stewardship Project. This is Dr. Marnie Peterson, and I am the Outreach Coordinator for the project, which was created by the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota in 2016. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with one of our esteemed faculty advisors to the project, Professor Dilip Nathwani. Dr. Nathwani is also the past president of the British Society for Antimicrobial Chemotherapy, otherwise known as BSAC. Dil will be speaking today about the launch of an innovative and unique open access educational and research platform, otherwise known as an, a knowledge exchange, for specifically focused on antimicrobial use and resistance. This is, will be named the Journal of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy and Antimicrobial Resistance, otherwise known going forward as JACMAR. Before we begin this, this conversation and learning more about the project, I'd like to give you some brief background for those of you who not familiar with Professor Nathwani. He is Honorary Professor of Infection at the University of Dundee, and he has been awarded the Order of the British Empire, OBE, for his services related to the treatment of infectious diseases. So this in and of itself speaks a lot about his, his life's work and effort in the area. He's previously served as Director of Medical Education, National Specialty Advisor for Infectious Diseases to the Scottish Government Health Department and led from 2008 to 2017 the first Scottish National Antimicrobial Stewardship Program, SAPG. Currently he is the Director of the Academic Health Sciences Partnership in Tayside. He has served as consultant to the WHO and authored more than 265 peer-reviewed publications and this number continues to increase uh, every time I talk to him. So he's extensively published and knowledgeable and highly collaborative, and he's contributed extensively to national international infectious guidelines and policy and really seeks to bring the global community together. So welcome, Dr. Nathwani.
1: Thank you, Arne. It's a pleasure talking with you.
0: Definitely a pleasure today to be speaking to you about this topic, um, which is about the launch of the Open Access Online Knowledge Exchange JACMAR. Um, as you and I both know, this is a result of many years of of work and global collaboration with you and many of your of your colleagues, and has also been a personal dream of yours. So before we dive into the details of JACMAR, let's let's just talk a little bit about how you got here and with your BSAC colleagues and um, decided to to launch this. Platform.
1: Okay, thank you, and, and thanks again for the opportunity, Marnie. Um, as you can imagine, that this year that my um, practice in clinical infectious diseases will be around 35 years. And over that time, not have I only interacted with colleagues that are immediately relevant to my clinical practice, but increasingly, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years, I've interacted with many colleagues in infectious disease practice and antimicrobial use across the world. And what is becoming very clear is that we are at a little bit of an impasse in terms of uh, about our ability to improve the quality of prescribing uh, within the human community, which I'll confine myself to today whilst we understand that the AMR agenda is is much broader than that. But what, what has really struck me is that whilst the importance of education has been recognized on a variety of fronts, the ability for clinicians to deliver highly effective, high-quality education across the globe, but particularly in those stressed lower- and middle-income countries, is increasingly challenged. Whilst there is a well-intentioned desire by clinicians and the broader healthcare professional community to do that, Many challenges occur, which we'll talk about perhaps later, particularly around funding and infrastructure, and also the prioritization of education over other competing activities. And to me, um, I see the most wonderful, hard-working healthcare professionals across the world delivering excellent clinical care and wanting to deliver excellent, high-quality education. But as I will go on to um, explain, their ability to do that in this very busy world that is financially constrained is increasingly becoming compromised. And I feel that as a global community and as a global collaborator over many years, it is our um, desire, but as well as our um, onus, is that we really need to support this global community in providing and delivering education. And perhaps what we also need to think about is how can we deliver this education in a smarter way that is less resource intensive in terms of people's time to be able to deliver the education, but as well as, as educationally innovative so that we can actually reach a much higher mass of people and that will enhance our capacity and capability to deliver this education. So I am absolutely delighted to get this far. This is a culmination of many years' work, and I really would also like to thank the vast number of colleagues that have really shared this vision with us to allow us to get this far. And I suspect that there will be many um, challenges as we move forward, but I do feel that we have a team of very committed people who really want to get us to a new place in delivery of highly effective open access education in the, in the area of, of AMR and specifically antimicrobial use. So I'm delighted to be here and be, to be able to talk about it.
0: Thank you, Dilip. I think that, uh, that's well described of, of how you've noticed these, <laughs> these desires and the need for education. Over the past several years, the problem of antimicrobial resistance has been identified, and there, in a way, has been a a, a call to action. But that action needs education, right? And um, and you you definitely have highlighted the importance of education, and in in this knowledge exchange that you want to create that has global access. So I I just like you talk a little bit about why focus on education as part of the solution for the antimicrobial resistance problem, and how can we do it smartly and innovatively such that the funding would be supported significantly enough to, to have the outcomes that you desire across the globe, even in the low, middle-to-low-income countries?
1: Yeah, completely agree. And I, th- I think funding um, is a significant issue. Um, whenever people talk, um, political leaders, um, AMR leaders across the world, Um, It was Nelson Mandela that made a wonderful quote many years ago that education is the most powerful weapon that can be used to change the world. It's beautifully said, and there is actually evidence to support that on a variety of fronts, not only in healthcare. But when you go and examine every national and global strategy on AMR, it talks about the importance of educating the public, educating healthcare professionals and other stakeholders, and, and it keeps on talking about the importance of education. Indeed, in the seminal O'Neill report that many of the people interested in AMR uh, will, will cite, once again, of the 10 or nine key interventions to support AMR, education is highlighted. But what is consistent in all these reports is that despite this rather loaded ambition of promoting education, when it comes to supporting amr interventions with funding for education it remains a cinderella of amr funding in fact one may perhaps even say that uh, worse than cinderella because at least cinderella uh, once in a while managed to get the ball if you give you some hard examples in the uk alone um, in 2016 there was a 1. Point, or the 14.1 billion investment in a related topic of climate change and environmental science. And climate change is a huge crisis for the world, as is AMR, along the lines of terrorism also. But then since 2013, uh, when you look at the funding for AMR in total, it's been in the region of around 650 million pounds, of which 135 of that is committed every year to research and development and conservation and technologies and public education. But when you go through each and every one of these reports in relation to funding, specific earmarked funding for professional education is not separately identified. And I think that you would agree that Funding for educational activity, particularly innovative educational activity, is paltry within the AMR uh, funding envelope. But also, when you compare AMR funding in comparison to climate change and terrorism, both of which are huge threats for mankind, I think it is minusculely small and very, very frustrating. And this is why I feel that the funding question. Uh, which we'll go on to talk a, perhaps a little bit more detail about, is at the heart of allowing us to do some really, really good stuff uh, at, at a higher scale with a higher impact on what I believe to be on a relatively small amount, small amount of investment that would be required.
0: I think that's that's a very, very well articulated in that you need the global voice and community to bring light to the importance of education and impact that it can have as the That's funders right. that would fund something want to want to be able to have some sort of metric to gauge the impact of that so let's let's just talk about the, uh, the as you set out to create the online JACMIR knowledge exchange platform what are some of the key goals that you set out that would that you feel would have that impact um, the the innovative solutions i think you've identified some Some really key high-level goals.
1: And and here I I, I think that um, the global AMR community um, needs to open its eyes and look um, outside the AMR field. If you look at um, the large industries across the world, for example, the gas, oil, uh, nuclear, the banking industry, and the technology industry, they have – important need to fulfill the educational needs of their workforce and for those who deliver uh, strategically what these various sectors need to deliver. And they have sought remarkable, effective educational solutions across the world, for example, massive open online courses, and really creative things that can permeate not only within the higher middle income sector, but within those communities that they serve that are uh, resource uh, less resource rich so I think that when you learn from that we need to create innovative solutions to delivering mass effective education that is truly global in its thinking it is very pragmatic and helpful to the practitioners who would use this education and that is relevant not only in thinking but also in context across the range of healthcare systems, geographies, and resources that is flexible and adaptable. But most importantly, our ambition here on this Knowledge Exchange platform is that it is always easily accessible, open, and free at the point of access. But the other unique thing that we've tried to introduce is that it will be peer-reviewed and have some kind of qualitative assessment of what that resource is offering to the delegate or the participant. So I think ensuring a high quality standard that where possible, and this is always a challenge that may be available in in a major language um, and not only English, is something that I think we will try to uh, reach, but perhaps it might take us a little bit more time.
0: It, it seems that you know, as you talked about, this is a culmination of of many global collaborations, um, and to bring and to provide that high quality standard, you, you've you brought several experts. You're bringing, continuing to bring several experts together. Many of those have been leaders to create first first of its kind type of educational efforts and online services. Some of these within the WHO, React, that the MOOCs created by BSAC our own CIDRAP news and, and podcast webinars and CDC. So just talking about the possibilities within these collaborations and if you bring them together, how that could leverage the impact and, and provide a, a venue for funding.
1: I, 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 I agree. And and, that, and you're hinting at really where I, I believe and many colleagues who supported this believe we need to be going towards. Because what is very, very frustrating is that when you come to funding initiatives, as I've alluded to, it's always around surveillance and informatics, drug discovery, new technologies, new diagnostics, but not any specific educational solutions that can actually deliver many of the kind of things that we talked about. So when when you go along and think, how can we bring this kind of community together, I think what we need to think about is, first and foremost, is that when you look at education and when you look at it across the globe, and increasingly you also look at it within the higher income setting that you and I live and work within, that the first thing that will go in a hospital or in a community or in a clinic, in a budget is tight, um, it will go is research and innovation. But importantly, educational will be the first that will be curtailed or or removed, because it's always second or third class when it comes to competing interests. And I think that what we really need to think about is ensuring that we make a case for its preservation, because really without its preservation and without investing in it, the kind of transformational effect that it would have in changing people's attitudes, awareness and knowledge and behaviors will be significantly compromised. And the other point that I need to make before I come on to the potential partnerships that, that we have developed and how they will deliver is that whilst um, there is undoubtedly tremendous amount of effort and commitment across many global communities, when there is a challenge and there is a vacuum in terms of the ability for that community to be able to deliver uh, education, because of budget cuts and competing priorities, there's no doubt that the um, commercial sector will beginning to play an important role. And I think that we need to think about why that is happening, and we need to think about having a mature and collaborative attitude about working with the commercial sector in the sense of understanding each other and how we can perhaps move forward in using the undoubted resources that the the commercial sector can provide, albeit I appreciate that even those are now under greater pressure for restriction, but that we can use these resources uh, for mutual benefit. And I think that many of us will expect or many of us recognize or accept that the commercial support for a lot of educational resources has been very successful, for example, through focused bits of unrestricted educational grants that that have really supported uh, a range of ultimately very successful educational activities. But I think we also understand that there are pockets of quite poor methods and practices from the commercial side that we need to be very wary of and, and, and have a broader discussion about. But I think that if you work in a collaborative way, Uh, with industrial partners, with professional groups, with governments, and other more creative, innovative people who would support educational solutions, there would be um, a recognition that if, for example, it's a healthcare professional community um, which has good governance within that uh, healthcare professional community and good leadership, you could begin to build and develop and implement uh, resources that are of good quality and and are potentially uh, evaluable in terms of providing a mechanism for a qualitative review and critique of these resources, which really would enhance their influence and their respectability, but most importantly, sustainability. And I think we already have some of those. The WHO, uh, the work from REACT, the many online courses, the MOOC, more bespoke online courses that the British Society for Antimicrobial Chemotherapy have developed, the, the work uh, undertaken by CDC on online courses, and I also believe the work undertaken by SIDRAP, particularly with its focus on high-quality resources, but at the same time, news that is pragmatic, relevant, and reachable across the global community are wonderful examples of people who are showing leadership uh, uh, in the area of education. And I do believe that collaborating, collaboration between uh, these areas that are already showing leadership in a much more unified, not fragmented way, but at all times ensuring that their products are not only confined to reaching their own internal audience, but also externally and recognizing that, that what they want to deliver ultimately can be applicable and relevant to uh, healthcare professionals and, and, and others across the, go- across the globe is really what we need to sort of think about. And I believe that what, if JAS, is successful, then the building of this collaboration and, and, and a, a network, maybe there's another word, across the globe of people working together toward the common goal is something that I think is achievable uh, as long as we believe that um, the goal is what we want to achieve.
0: Yeah, I, I was happy that you brought up um, you know, the importance of the commercial pri- uh, private sector in, in collaboration with the uh, public sector colleagues and in some other collaboration. Collaborators, I forgot to mention in our exchange are also our colleagues um, at SCAP, uh, Puccini, Mark Mendelssohn, International Society of Infectious Diseases. All of these are collaborators of yours on the on the project as well. Um, and so it's really a universal collaboration across the private and public sector, which is actually unique. Uh, so let's let's talk about it. Um, the next journey, um, the collaboration between, as, you know, to form J A C M A R you formed the collaboration between VSAC, the owner of the the journal Antimicrobial Chemotherapy, the journal's been in existence for over forty years, and the Oxford University Press. So you've come together to create and launch this platform. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the initial goals and then and the long term goals.
1: Okay, so I think that the initial goal is to start to have something that recognizes um, the principles of what we've talking about what we want to achieve, and over time, to allow that global partnership to come together. And I think that, you know, it's easy to talk about bringing the network together, but when you've got to focus a piece of work that already exists, you can then bring about that greater externality to build the model and the collaboration to, to a larger and bigger model that is more scalable across the needs of the global community. And I think that what we want is to work with the professional stakeholders and the NGOs that you have talked about. All of them have been immensely successful, but also ensure that we work in partnership with uh, the commercial sector and the philanthropic sector and the public sector that are interested in AMR. And we do not want to confine ourselves only to the antimicrobial use agenda, which really is the initial and important focus of JAC-AMR. But I think that when you look at the need for education across the disciplines of AMR, you can look about infection prevention, the rapidly emerging new technologies that will help us fight um, drug-resistant infections in the future, uh, prevention through vaccines, the range of diagnostic companies that are beginning to emerge, as well as how we actually assess the value in terms of the clinical and economic value of these technologies. So all of these are uh, future uh, areas of growth within the JSC AMR platform. And what we would like is to work with all the potential stakeholders to give us the capacity and hence then the capability to be able to reach the ambition we have. We have, uh, in the fullness of time, uh, ambitions to reach out to the veterinary community because they have very little uh, along these lines and they have already indicated the potentially uh, the desire to collaborate. And I think that as we grow, we will have um, a a broader number of, of people within it who are committed. And, and even stronger leadership will begin to emerge that is collaborative in nature as we as we begin to think about all the kind of areas that i have talked about and what we also need and i think this is fundamental to the success of the jasc amr platform is that we have a professional society that has shown stellar high quality work in this area we are collaborating with sidrap and escap and, and other colleagues over time who also have shown that, but we are also uh, in partnership with one of the major um, infection publishing houses in the world, in terms of Oxford University Press. So I think I always believe that when you work with quality, uh, you get better quality, and when we work with strong leadership, you get success. So I think that is the kind of foundation for what I believe we want to achieve uh, as we move this important journey forward.
0: So Dilip, to, to close, as we, um, I think our listeners will want to understand when this will be launched and how your global community members will be able to reach out and join your efforts and have accessibility to to the platform. If you want to talk okay. a little bit about that and any other uh, final closing remarks?
1: Thank you. Yes, of course. Um, so I, I think that um, we plan to launch uh, at Echmid. In April 2019, it will be very much a very early um, platform, which will have a limited amount of resource from the educational as well as the the research side, but at least it will give the community uh, interest in this area of of what it will look like, the kind of things it will have, and the model that it will operate. In terms of what it strives to be, it strives to be a single source of resource, data, and information in an age where there is many platforms and competitive narratives. So it's beginning to give people the vision that this is allowed, will get them to somewhere they want to be uh, very rapidly. It's going to be evidence-based in an era where there's a lot of uh, fake news and pseudoscience and poor quality resources. Um, It aims to be and strives to be free at the point of access. Because what really made me think why we wanted to create this is whenever I wanted to get into a great resource, it would um, have a paywall, subscription fees, or a large number of steps to allow me to get to that particular resource. We want it to be multidisciplinary, and we mustn't forget the key role of nurses and pharmacists and laboratory and others in delivering better use of antibiotics, and we also want it to be very responsive, flexible, and agile, and not really stifled by bureaucracy and an aversion to risk. And what we also aim, and my final two comments before I talk about how the community can engage with us, is we want it to be focused on developing countries, where the burden of the disease is greatest and the resources the fewest. So I really want this to be global in the age of borders and inequality. You ask how the global community can engage with us and reach out to us. Well, we want them, for example, once it's launched to submit educational resources, which we will peer review and put that critique on the platform and house it on the platform. We want professional groups out with the ones that we have mentioned so far to reach out to us to say would they like to build this model forward and partner with us uh, as we go forward. We always will be looking out for new editors to review many of the resources that is potentially we already have or will be submitted to us and we will be replenishing our cohort of editors over time so if people are interested out there we want them to reach out to us. And Finally, and most importantly, for those of us who are interested in education, we want the global community who interacts with us to be our champions and to be our advocates for the platform within their own communities and within their own regions as we begin to build this mass of people wanting to support global education along the principles that we have outlined. So those are the kind of things that I really am looking for uh, in terms of people reaching out to us so that we can actually work with them um, and and, and move this
0: forward. Thank you, Dilip. I congratulate you and your colleagues at BSAC for arriving at this place. Um, I think it's perfect timing. And the launch, as you said, will, will occur simultaneously with the ICMID conference, which will be um, which begins April 13th of this year, so it's not far away um, for everyone to, to be able to get engaged. And I would also like to mention that uh, CIDRAP will also be featuring um, the, pl- the launch and the platform, so they can access it through through our website as well. So um, thank you so much for your time today, and we look forward very much to the launch of JACMAR. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: And, and thank you, Mani, to you and, and colleagues in CIDRA for giving us the opportunity to talk about this, this, this um, exciting venture. And I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more. So thank you again.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Dilla.